In these parshas, Hazirah Mitzayra discuss, of course, the Nigayim that come as a result of the speaking of Lashon Hara and other sort of uh, very terrible Averis. The Gemara in Erechen describes other Averis for which Tsaras comes, but the primary reason for Tsaras, everybody agrees, is Lashon Hara. And as a result of that, Nigayim come on a person's home, Nigam come on a person's furniture, and ultimately Nigam come on a person's body. And when a person sees Tsaras, he has to go to the Kayin. The Kayin is the Paisik as far as whether or not the type of Tsaras is one which is a real Tsaras, the ones that would be metameh body, or if it's not really tsaras, and based on what the Kayin paskins, that would be uh, the parshias here discussing the exact measures that a person has to take to free himself from the tsaras and from the the tumah. There is a mishnah in Negoim in Parak Bey's mishnah hey which says as follows, it's a famous Mishnah, and that's what we're going to really discuss today, the, all of the Musr that we get from a single Mishnah Nigayim. The Mishnah says, Kol HaNigayim Adam A person is able to see any Nega, meaning a Kayin who is responsible for paskening, for deciding on the type of Nega that it is. He looks and sees if it's a Sa'es or Baharas or Levaina, what's exactly the nature of it and what should be done about it. A Kayin can paskin on every single person in Klai Yisrael's Nega, except for one person. There is one person that a Kayin is not allowed to judge, and that is his own Nega. Meaning that if a Kayin himself gets a Nega Tsaras, he has something and he doesn't know exactly whether it's Tame or Tar or what exactly the nature of the Nega is. He himself cannot judge himself and say whether or not it's Tame or Tar. He must go to another Kayin and only that Kayin may decide for him. Kalha Nigoim Adam Raya, a Kayin can see any Nega, Chutzmi Nega except for his own personal Nega that he's not allowed to ask him. That he has to go and get an objective opinion. And what we see from this Mishnah, from this Halacha, say all of the Bali Musar, that there's a very fundamental yisaid when it comes to ourselves. And that is that we have Nagius. We have subjectivity when it comes to ourselves. We cannot be fully objective. We might be a very intelligent person. We might be a person that the whole world comes to for Eitzes, for Hadracha, for Dasaira, for what I should do in certain instances. Give me good advice. But yet the person himself, if he's intellectually honest with himself, he should never decide things for himself. He should not allow himself to judge when it comes to his own personal issues whether it is an issue of ethics, whether it is an issue of mumminess, whether it is an issue of relationships, it doesn't matter. A person should make sure that he not use himself in his own judgment 
when he is deciding something, but rather he must go and get an objective opinion, another person's opinion, because otherwise it's going to be very skewed towards towards himself. A person loves himself, a person has Nagiyas toward himself, the same way that a person is not allowed to be made on himself. He can't go into Beston and say, I'm being made about myself, that I don't owe Reuven money. That's the same way that a person cannot be made about himself, or cannot be Miyayitz himself, or cannot be Mayurdera for himself, for anything, because I cannot have a clear perspective when it comes to other people. Maybe when it comes to my, to, when it comes to other people, rather, I can. When it comes to myself, I cannot. This halacha is not only true by a regular Kayen, by a rank and file Kayen who is allowed to judge Tsaras, but it's true even on the greatest of the Kayanim, the holiest figure in Kla Yisrael, the Kayan Gado, also is not trusted when it comes to himself. If a person has Nagios, even the Kayan Gado, and they bring a riot to this from a Gemara in Sanhedrin and Afir Chesimid Beis. The Gemara says a fascinating thing, that when Bestin would meet to decide whether or not to make a new, to make a leap year, meaning they would come, let's say, in the end of the month of Adar, and they would see, based on certain criteria, based on certain weather patterns, they wanted to make Pesach fallout in Chaydesh Aviv. If we see that it's still too cold in the, in the first month of Adar, and Pesach will still, it'll be winter and still in two weeks, they'll maybe add another month of Adar to in order to further Nisan so that it ends up in Chaydesh Aviv. That's what Bestin does when they're Ma'abra the Shana, when they decide whether or not a leap year should be instituted or not. Nowadays, for example, we're, we're living in a leap year this year. There's an Adar base that we are about to complete. But th- this is already on a fixed calendar. So there was no Bestin, of course, to decide to add this month of Adar. But rather, it was instituted... You know, many, many, many thousands of years ago, um, not many thousands of years, many, but many, <laughs> a long time ago was instituted um, about, uh, about being Kaveya this calendar. However, um, when it comes to, when it came before the calendar was fixed, that seven times every 19 years we have a leap year, every year was a call that best had to make, should we be Mahabhadashan or not? So now, a Kayin Gadol, the Gemara says in Sanhedrin, is not allowed to participate, even if he's a big Dayan, he's not allowed to participate in instituting this leap year. Why? So the Gemara says a very strong castigation against the Kayin, against the Kayin Gadol. It says like this, the Kayin Gadol might be thinking in the back of his mind as he's sitting there pondering and debating whether or not we should add another Adar, should we not add another Adar, saying, listen, if we add another Adar, that pushes Yom Kippur down the road another month. That means that it's going to be pretty cold if we add another Adar. Yom Kippur is going to be much colder than if we don't add an Adar. If we don't add another Adar, Yom Kippur will be, you know, it'll be in the nice summer season. If we push it down the road, it's already going to be autumn. And... That would be a problem for me. Why? Because the Kayin Gadol has to serve the whole day in Yom Kippur. 
back and forth with Naiv with Nim and, and, and doing Karbanes and all of the Abaydas Hayyim of Yemekipuram, the Kayan Gadol is front and center. He's walking around in the base of Mikdash barefoot on the marble floor. He says, I don't want to catch a cold. So it's, it really would be a much better idea for me. This is what's going on in the subconscious of the Kayan Gadol. Maybe we should talk, uh, not add a, an Adesheni, even though the whole Klayusel is going to be frigid, you know, on Pesach, and it's not going to be Mekayim with the Tyre wants that Pesach should fall on Chaydesh Aviv. But for my own comfort, I'm going to not want another month of Adar so that it's going to be nice and balmy in the Beis HaMikdash on Yom Kippur instead of being frozen. Instead of having to catch a cold because my feet will be cold against the marble floor when it's fall time out, so I'm going to rather not vote to be Ma'abr the Shana so that we push the, we, we bring the Yom Kippur date earlier in the summer. What do you see from this Gemara? You see that even the Kayin Gadol, not just a regular Kayin can't see Nagan because he has Nagias, he can't see his own Nega. But when it comes to even the Kayin Adadol Me'achiv, the greatest Kayin, the greatest religious figure that Kali Yisrael boasts, we don't trust even him. Because if he has Nagias, he will definitely not be able to rule objectively. There's a Meridika story that's found in a very non, you know, obvious, obvious place. Normally you don't find stories in Child's the Truest Farm. Stories are, you know, for the books, but they're not for the Child's the Truest you find just halacha. In the Child's the Truest of the Ksav Sefer, he brings down a Meridika Maisa there. It's in, if you want to look it up, it's in Chelek Yeridea, Simen Kuf Tes. And he speaks about somebody by the name of Rabbi Yeshua Valak Katz. And he wrote a very famous sefer called the Sma, which is a sefer Mira Senayim on Chesh and Mishpat. He also wrote the Drisha and the Prisha on the tour. If anyone ever looked in the tour, there's commentaries called the Drisha and the Prisha right next to each other. Both of these commentaries were written by this, by the Sma, by the sefer Mira Senayim. The Ksav Sefer brings down a Maisa that one time, the Sefer Mira Sainayim, the Sma, he had to actually go before a Bestin about a certain Cheshen Mishpat matter. Certain Mominous matter came up, he owed money to somebody or he didn't owe money to somebody. Anyway, they did what you didn't do when there is a doubt. They go before a Bestin and the Bestin, after deliberating the Shiloh back and forth, they paskined against the Sma. With all of their reasons, they issued a verdict against the Sma, and the Sma had to lose out money because of that decision. And the Sma was not happy. The Sma felt that the decision was wrong, that they had no right in the world to pass it against me. After all, I am the Bala Sma on the Cheshire Mishpat. I know a thing or two about money matters. And it's wrong that they ruled against me. And he was speaking to a fellow Tamachacham about this verdict, and he proved definitively that he was right and the other one was wrong based on a certain reason or several reasons that he had. The person that he was talking to, the Samachacham, runs to the Svarim Shrank, 
pulls out a sefer and shows him black and white that the verdict that they issued was right and that it goes against him. It goes against the smell. What the smell is arguing in his favor, in his own favor, this sefer comes and paskins against the smell. So the smell says, so what? I'm, I'm the smell. You know, I, I could argue with the sefer. I'm the drisha, I'm the frisha, I'm the smell. You bring me a, an acronym, that's very interesting. But what does that have to do with me? I argue with him also. And that person then opened up the sefer to the Shabbat, to the front page of the sefer. And you know what sefer was? The smell. The Sma himself passed against himself and Din. But when it's against me, I can't see clearly. I could see clearly when I, it's an objective Shiloh that's put to me, then I could see the Allah clear. But when it's something that's very, very foggy because it's Nagay and me, so I see everything the wrong way. I don't see clearly. I don't have the ability really to pass in because I am Nagaya Bedavar. I have Nagiyas to myself. It's a very subjective thing when it comes to Din, when it comes to anything that's Nagaya to me. An Adam is Karavetzalatzmai, and I cannot pass him clearly. The Sma himself, when he saw this Sefer, that it was really written by him, he said the following. He says, Now I know. Now I finally understand the words of Chazal. A person is incapable of seeing anything that's a chay for himself. I could see a chay for everybody else. I could see why everybody else is wrong. When it comes to myself, I can't see it. I just don't have that ability. Part of the human experience, part of the human condition is that a person is so close to himself that he's incapable of seeing anything wrong with him. And that is what we are speaking about today, that Mishnah Nagayim, Kala Nagayim Adam Raya, Chutzmi Nega Atzma. You could see everybody's Nega because that you could judge objectively. But your own personal Nega, you can't see. That you have to take to another Kayim. But Huba you have to take even that to another Kayim. Why? Because you cannot see your own Nagayim. It's impossible for a person to really be objective because it's about me. And that's why we always have to go and make sure to be objective. To be objective about everything. One thing that's very, very nagaya is when you go to an Eitzah. When you go for an Eitzah to somebody, you should always, even if you yourself are very, very... You have a good... You're, you're a Pelayayit. You're a person that people come to, they trust you. You have a Seicha Yashar. But even a Gadol... Even somebody that's a Gadol B'Yisrael needs to go and make sure that what he's saying is accurate if it's Megaya himself. Don't trust yourself. Don't say, well, everybody come, the whole world is lining up to speak to me, so I think I can make a good decision or give myself a good answer as well. You can't. Because it's about you, all of a sudden everything becomes slanted. There's a shaykhat involved, there's something that is bribing you towards yourself, and you can't be a good dayan when you are being bribed. And when you're bribed because of the love that a person has for himself, it makes rendering any objective decision impossible when it's about ourselves. There's a beautiful Misa that's told about Rebarach Ber. the Kamenetzer Shiva, who, he was a tzaddik besides for being a Goyin, 
He was a famous tzaddik. He was a wonderful Rosh Shiva. The Talmudim loved him. He was a Balmenagin. In yeshiva, imamish used to sit with the bachrim for hours, uh, having a kumzitz and singing and teaching them nigunim. And there was one bachrim in yeshiva by him that he liked very much, and he thought he was a you know very chashuva bachrim. And he had a daughter, a baruch bear, that was of marriageable age. And like many rosh yeshivas say, if they you know get to choose um, you know the apple of their eye, and they very often you know, ask that bachar if they would like to, you know, meet their daughter. And so Rabbi Fair picked out a wonderful bachar, and he, he asked him, he says, of course, it would be a big of it. So they, you know, they had a sit-in, and they met, and they, sure enough, they got engaged. There was a big simcha. Rabbi Fair bought the chassan, like a, a packet watch, which was the, uh, what was in vogue back then, a gold watch. But instead of a wristwatch, it was one of those fancy pocket watches. And then he also bought him a hat, a brand new chassan hat. And he sent him to a, another yeshiva in another city because it wasn't, wouldn't be appropriate for the bacher to be learning in the same city where his kala is. That would maybe not be good for his learning. And so he sent him to another city. And then in the other city, the unthinkable happened. This bachar was learning in the yeshiva in another city, and somebody came over, maybe gateways, a shatzen came over and said, we have a great shidduch for you, you seem to be a big masmid, we have a great shidduch for you, um, and the girl is a very, very wealthy girl, affluent, great shver, big, you know, big gavir, you'd be able to sit and learn forever in the lap of luxury, and this bachar couldn't resist <laughs> the temptation. And he agreed to meet this girl. Unbelievable. A person, a chassan, And he went out with her, and sure enough, they got engaged, and he sent a letter, UPS, to Rebarach Bear. There was a box. Inside the box was the hat. It was the gold pocket watch and a letter. And the letter basically apologized profusely to Rabbi Fair and to his daughter. I'm very, very sorry, but this and this happened. I was in Yeshiva and somebody read me a shidduch. And before you knew it, you know, and I'm very sorry, but I got engaged to a new girl and I'm going to have to break off the engagement to your daughter. And you can imagine how broken Rabbi Fair was by this experience. Could you imagine you have a Talmud, not Stama, a stranger, it's a Talmud. In yeshiva, who you gave your, your leva nefesh to. And you allowed him to go out with your daughter. And he got engaged to your daughter. And you bought him a hat and a watch. And everything was going great. And then he has the chutzpah to go. And go to another city and see another person and get engaged. And send like a, you know, uh, send coldly just in a box. The hat and everything throw back in, in Rebarach Bear's face. And Rebarach Bear obviously was very upset. And Nebuch, he had to tell his daughter the news, and she was heartbroken, and his Rebetzin. Now fast forward a couple of years later, this Bachar got married to that other girl, and he became even a bigger Talmud Chacham. He's learned in Kailah for a few years, and he was offered a chance to, for a Prabha, for a, uh, like a, um, uh, an interview and a model Shabbos um, to try out for a certain Rabbanis in a Chashavah city. But, you know, on his resume it says that he's a Talmud of Rabbanis, he learned in Kamenet, so the, the, the committee uh, that was deciding whether or not he would be appointed or not 
They wanted to see a mikhtav hamlatza from Rabbah Bar. They wanted a letter of recommendation from Rabbah Bar. So the boy, to add insult to injury, writes a letter to Rabbah Bar and says, you know, dear Rabbi, I really, you know, I hope everything is well. I am, you know, trying out for Abbanus in a certain town. They want a, le- a mikhtav hamlatza. I hope it's not too much of a problem, but would you mind sending me a letter of recommendation, you know, backing up my candidacy? And, I mean, I know what I would have done with the letter, um, but this is not what Rebbe Ber did with the letter. Rebbe Ber actually sat down and he wrote a miftav hamlatzah. But not only that, he then went and called three bachrim in from the base madrash to his office and ask them to be a best in and read over what I wrote to make sure that there's no shemets of critique or negativity or any castigation against this bacher. I want it to be a letter which is clean and which is positive and that's, that's, that, that's really, you know, boosts his, his candidacy. I don't want to hurt him at all. And they asked him, but Rabbi, what do you need us for? So he said, because I had this terrible maisa with him. I know that I, in my heart of hearts, I can't really find complete mechila for him after what he did to me and to my mishpacha. But yet he's asking as a Talmud if I can write him. He's part of the Talmud. He is a Talmud, and I guess, and he was a good Talmud, and he is a capable Talmud Chacham, and he will be a good Rav. So he deserves the letter. But I know that maybe in the deep, dark recesses of my mind, I might be putting between the lines a certain Russian or something that has some infusion of negativity in it. And I want to make sure, and you have to guarantee me that you're looking it over objectively, and that I'm not making something bad in this letter. That this letter doesn't at all reflect poorly on him because that's not what I want. That's not my intention. But if I leave it to my own devices, if I am just trusting myself, I know that I'm not going to be able to completely see clearly. And I need somebody objective or a best and that's objective to make sure that it's okay. And only after they said it looks perfect did he send it back to the Talmud. It shows this Misa how even the Gadladar has the ability to understand that he cannot be objective when it comes to himself. And if that's true for a Baruch Ber, it's certainly true for each and every one of us. When we have something that we have to um, know, that we have to resolve, we have to deal with, don't trust yourself. Make sure that you always get a second opinion. Go to somebody that you, a Rebbe, a parent, a friend, a Rav, somebody that you really believe in, that you trust in, and that you feel will be honest with you and be able to give you not what you want to hear, but what needs to be said. When it comes to printing svarim, this is very Nagea. I have, you know, Baruch Hashem, I put out a number of svarim, and I always give it to a, a very close friend of mine, who's a big time Chacham, he's a Rav today in Brooklyn. Um, and we went to Yeshiva together, he's a very one Milo that he has that doesn't seem to be a very big Milo, but it is, especially as an editor, is he's very, very critical. He's very critical in general, but he's very critical about about Tyra and about what you write. And he will nitpick to the to the to the dicto kaloshin. And if there's something that's not my the Swaram that I write is called Shira Salevi. So he has 
he, you know, he writes in the margins of my of my svarim all of his agais, all of his comments, his glosses, and he writes the name of his agais is Eich Nashir. That's that's his the title of his agais, and uh, trust me, it's more. It's he writes much more than I do. His sefer is, is double the the Eich Nashir is double the size of the of, of the Shira Salivi. But that's the type of editor that you want because you know then if you get an editor that just slaps you on the back and tells you how great you are, so then you're going to publish a safer and it's going to be full of mistakes. It's going to be full of things that are schwach. But if you have a person that's critical and that's objective and that's not looking to flatter you, but it's looking to give you the cold, hard truth, so then at least you know, I mean, the safer became, you know, like a, a nicer of what it was supposed to be. I thought it was going to be a big fat safer. It turned out it was much thinner. But that's good. It's better to put out one, you know, page that's right than put out a thousand pages that are, that are diluted and watered down and, and nonsense. So this is true with that. You can't, you know, if you wrote it, you probably could edit it. No, you can't edit it. You have to make sure that you have somebody objective editing it. You have to make sure that, that when you're editing your, your life, that you have somebody that's not you editing it, that's somebody that you can trust, you can go to and tell me, am I doing right or not? I'm in a fight with somebody, I think I'm right, what do you think? And don't go to one of these people, oh, of course you're right, you know, before you even finish telling the story, they just want to make you feel good about yourself, so they tell you you're great. You have to go to somebody that's really objective and that can render a, a verdict that's subjective and that's real, that's real. Don't go to a good friend, don't go to a rob that needs you, that you know you give a lot of money to a shul or to his yeshiva and you know he's going to give you the answer that you want to hear. Go to somebody that couldn't care less what you think of him. And that's the type of person that should be editing your life and your svarim and your decisions and your chashimishpat and your yaridaya and your arachayim. Whatever you have, you have to, don't judge by yourself. Be afraid to render a decision on your own because you have negias when it comes to yourself. There's another very important thing that we learned from this Mishnah of Kal Nagam Adam Raya Chutzminega Atzmai. And it's a Hasidish take on a Mishnah. You know, a lot, we have a lot of Hasidish Abshatim on, on Sukkim. Sukkim, Hasidish, Hasidim tends like, you know, they have a Messiah that you're able to sort of, you don't have to look for the Asnachta, you can move the Asnachta around wherever you want to in the Pasuk, and it's fine, you can break up the whole syntax of the Pasuk, but just to bring out a Vart, which is fine, that's a, that's a Messiah that they have. They, I saw a Vart from the Baal Shem Tev on this mission that he does this with a Mishnah. This is the way the Baal Shem Tev says you can read the Mishnah. Is all of the Nagayim that people see externally is all Minega Atzmai. It comes from our own personal Nagayim. A person very often speaks Lashon Hara, and he speaks Lashon Hara about a certain person and about a certain topic. You should know that if a person is speaking about a certain topic, if you're passing something, if you're trashing something, if you're speaking negatively about something or somebody, then be very careful. Because very often that comes from within. 
Meaning, a person has a, a weakness. I have a certain thing that I have a problem with, I have a struggle with. And I know that I am deficient in this thing. Very often, instead of dealing with it, instead of really tackling the problem and saying, I have a problem, I'm going to deal with it. Instead of that, I tend to project that problem that I have onto other people. Oh boy, that guy's really got a big problem. You know, he, is, uh, he's, uh, he has this taiva, he's that taiva. Why are you telling me about that? Why are you talking to me about Yenem's taiva? Why are you talking to me about Yenem's problem with Geneva? Why, why is that interesting? Why do you think that's interesting to me? And why are you spending your time and your Elam Abba speaking about other people? The answer is that this is something that is in the subconscious of a human mind. I know that I have that problem. I know that I myself have that soul. But rather than dealing with it internally, I deal with it externally. Rather than actually going and tackling the issue and saying, I have to deal with it, it's much easier to brand other people with that problem and say, oh, wow, everybody's got that problem. He's got that problem. He's got that problem. She's got that problem. And so therefore, I don't have to really deal with it either. That is one of the fundamentals of Lashon That call a place of a mumay place. You want to find out what a person, what a person's chesreinists are? Listen to what he's talking about others. If he's talking about others, generally speaking, he has got some sort of problem about which he's speaking about others. A person that is perfect himself doesn't need to knock others and to, and to trash others and to, and to castigate others, to, to speak badly about others. You don't need to do that. Why, why would I waste my time doing that? The reason why I would go and speak Lashon there are many reasons, but one of the main reasons is because I have a, an issue myself. I have a soul in me, but I don't want to deal with it, so it's easier for me to shower that soul on a lot of other people and that way I feel a little better about myself. There's a, a very cute Meisler of Shalom Shalajan used to always say when trying to illustrate this concept of Kala Paisel or Mumay Paisel. says that there was once a chassan, a chassidish chassan, who just got married, let's say he would have his chasna this coming week, and then a few weeks later is going to be Pesach, and he ate, of course, the first the first seder, the first yantiv you spend by the Kawas family. It's a, there's actually Gemarim Sachem that, that seems to say that. So you go, so he ate by his Kawas family, and they were eating, they were up to um, the meal by the seder, and beautiful chicken soup, with maybe a, you know, maybe a, a matzo ball in it. And all of a sudden he's eating, and there are croutons, like chametz sticker croutons that are floating around in a soup. Very strange, croutons on Pesach in a soup. So nowadays it wouldn't be, it wouldn't be crazy, because nowadays we have kashul Pesach bagels and pancakes, and everything is, every, there's no such thing as, as anything being chametz anymore. Everything is kosher. Is that they, they're able to, I don't know, they have some laboratory somewhere that they're able to, to, to come up with these, uh, you know, these different types of chametz, of kashul pesach chametz. But back in those days, back in those days, you know, Pesach was Pesach, and the year was the year. I believe there was no pizza on, on, on Pesach, there were no blintzes on Pesach, there was no, no bagels on Pesach, there was no French toast or English muffins, or something that, you know, Pesach was actually a time you just sat and ate matzahs all day. And so he was shocked to find, you know, that there were croutons, chametz thicker croutons that were floating around in a soup. 
So he, aghast, he jumps out of the chair. He says, you people, how did I dare marry your family? Obviously, we didn't do enough research into you. You're eating chametz Pesach. And he storms out of the room crying, and he runs into the, into the street, straight to the Rebbe's house. And he's crying. He bangs on the door, and the Rebbe opens up the door, and he sits down with the Rebbe. He says, Rebbe, I don't know what to do. I think I need a get." says, I'm married into a mishpacha, nebuch, they're serving croutons in the soup on Pesach. So the Rav sits for a few minutes and thinks about this problem. He says, give me a shrimo. My shrimo? What do you want my shrimo for? Says, give me a shrimo. Stop talking to me. He takes it off and he gives it to him. And by Hasidim, they wear the shrimo the whole Seder night. And he flips over the shrimo and he bangs the back of the shrimo and out come like a hundred croutons. So the, the chassan is like shocked. He doesn't believe what he's saying. And the Rav says, the Rebbe says, you're tippish. He says, by your chasna, don't you remember, you know, the minig was in those days they, they threw, instead of the gayim throw rice, they, they matched up, they throw, they threw croutons by the chuppah as a, as a simcha instead of candies or whatever, they threw croutons. He says, you didn't clean your strimo before Pesach. You forgot to knock out the, 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 the chametz from your strimo before Pesach. He says, when you were sitting over your bowl eating your soup, the chametz that came out was from your own strimo. wasn't from your shver's chametz, it was yours. And Rav Sholem used to use this as a mushal for how often we're so busy incriminating other people, but the incrimination really lies within the soul that we are bombarding other people with, that we're accusing other people of, all the terrible things that we are that we are saying about others, that we are whispering about our friends and our family, if we would really look under the hood of our own car, we would find that the chametz is not with them, it's within. It's within us. It's something that we never properly dealt with, and so therefore, rather than blaming ourselves, rather than looking in our own shtimel, We'd rather blame our shver, we'd rather blame our family, we'd rather blame our friends and say they're the ones that are the shkots and we're fine, or we're relatively fine. Rabbi Yisrael Salantis says that's the aside of why a mitzayrah has to go michutz l'machanet. We send them out of the machanet Yisrael, we send them into solitary confinement. Zok Rabbi Salantis because a person, when he speaks Lashon Hara, is basically saying, I'm looking around and I don't like anything that I see. I'm thinking this guy is bad and that guy is bad. I see schmutz all around me. I see chametz in everybody else's soup. But I don't see it in my own shrimo. I don't see it in myself. That's because I'm so busy taking care of everybody else, looking at everybody else. Looking at everybody else's nega that I don't have time to look at my own nega. Because I choose not to. Go into solitary confinement. Spend a couple of days by yourself. Look in the mirror and see that you yourself have the problem within. And only then, once you've been rehabilitated, then you can come back into society and know that everybody is actually very good. And I'm the bad guy. Everybody is fine. Yisrael Kedashimein. Klal Yisrael are good. And if there's a problem, if there's a reason for me speaking Lashon it's because I have an issue. Because I have something within me, and I never fixed it. And I never bothered to, to see that I have to correct something within, because again, I have Nagiyas. 
The Pasuk says in Parshas Mitzrayah, Ki savayu al Eretz Kenan asher ani noisin lochem laachuzah v'nasati nega saras v'beis Eretz achuzas. I'm going to put a neg on your house. The first step, and when you speak lashonar, is it hits your house before it hits your begadim, before it hits you. It first starts with your house. And Rashi says, "Besura hilochem, besura hilochem, shanegoim barim aleim." It's a good thing. It's mashra from the pasuk. Rashi is medayik in the pasuk that there is some positive. I'm going to give you something. It's going to be a gift. I'm going to do something very good for you. Why is this good to put a negat saras in your house? So Rashi says, Because the Emiri people, they used to hide their gold, all of their very chashuva possessions, they would hide it inside of their homes, in the walls of their homes, for safekeeping. They were afraid that Klal Yisrael, when they would attack, they would steal all of their possessions. So they hid it in the walls. They made like a safe within the walls. And now, because of the nega, because there's a nega on your house and you're, you have to break the wall, you have to break down the wall of your house that has a nega, when your menate's back here, when you break that wall, you're going to find, you're going to find treasures within that wall. And that's why it's a basura Elohim. It's good news. When you come in there, it's Canaan. Get ready for some grain. They're going to knock down your house. You're going to find, you're going to find, uh, treasures within your house. Which is half of a fella. I mean, is it chayte niskar? What? You didn't get this. This isn't a present. This isn't a prize. You're winning the lottery because he spoke Lashonara. Person spoke Lashonara. He gets neg on your house. We all associate the negayim as we should to bad. It's a terrible punishment to have a negat saras in your house. But yet, the Torah says, no, it's not that bad. There's a, a silver lining to the cloud that you're going to be able to maybe break down the wall and that will enable you to find treasures within your home. Pili Plum. So what I believe the shot might be, B'derach Drush, is that a person speaks Lashon and he finds that the whole world is terrible this guy does that bad, that guy does that bad. And we learn today that a person has Nagiyas, a person is not able to see the faults in himself. I'm too close to myself. And when I speak Lashon Hara, it comes from within. It comes from within. The Torah gives us parashas how to deal with that. The whole parasha of Tazriya Mitzayra deals with how you're able to do tshuva. The Torah's warnings, the Rabbi Yisham sending you messages, repent, change. Nigei batim, nigei begadim, nigei aguf. And then a person is ultimately sent into solitary confinement. And like Rabbi Yisrael Salantir says, there is where you start doing some introspection. You start stopping looking at the rest of the world and how terrible everybody is and realize that the world is actually fine. It's me that has the problem. I have the problem within. And you know what happens when that happens? What's the next step after I realize that I have the problem? Then and only then, once I have changed myself, then we're able to discover the beauty that's within us. 
the beauty that's hidden within us, it's sully, it's dirty when we speak Lashon Haro. When we speak Lashon Haro about others, what we're doing is basically ignoring the beauty within and making ourselves tainted by speaking bad about other people. First of all, it's disgusting that we speak bad about other people, but it's also disgusting that we're losing who we are when we speak Lashon Haro. We are losing our beauty, we are losing the treasure that lies within and the Torah is telling you that you're going to get Nigayim, and the Nigayim are not to punish you as much as they are to make sure that you see the inner beauty. You see the beauty of the world, you see how everybody is really good, and the bad that you have to change, when you fix that, you're going to be perfect. That's the lesson, that's the Besura Yilohem. You're going to have a house, it's going to have Nigayim, that's the bad news. But don't worry, you're going to break down the house, and you're going to see that within, there's beauty. When you deal with your own issues, when you stop sweeping it under the rug and putting it off for another day, when you start opening up your heart and seeing what's in there, doing a B'dikas Chametz on within. There's a famous rabbi, I forgot who, and he used to, the night of the B'dikas Chametz, you know, rabbis always have these Hasidim that walk around with them. I was at a Hasid the other night, the son of the of the square Rebbe was at the Hasid, he's, I guess, next in line. And he is a young boy, he's, you know, he's, he's maybe your age. He walks around with an entourage of, of Hasidim. They, they, that's what Hasidim do. They have Shamashim and Gabayim. That's what Rebbe's have. So, the Rebbe did a B'dikas Chametz the night of Al Arbasar, and he checked all the Chametz. After he checked all the Chametz, he turns to his Gabay turns to Shamus and says, okay, we checked the whole house. And then he starts opening up the buttons of his shirt. He says, now I want you to check for the chametz in my heart. We've been baidik the chametz in the house. Now what about the chametz within? When we speak Lashon what we're doing is we're being baidik the whole external chametz. But we have a lot of chametz that's within that hasn't been dealt with. When a person deals with it, when a person stops ignoring the issues that he has within the problems, the tightness, all of the, 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 the schmutz that we have that's built up and have, has been so corrosive to our life and we're able to clean that away, then we'll find the matmanius. Then we'll find that within our walls, within our own bodies, within our own souls, within our own hearts, we have treasures that are priceless, that we have never been able to expose because we were so busy looking at other people and blaming them for everything without recognizing that it's really personal problems that we've had. And once we start dealing with those, then we're able to see in the Kiris Habayis, the Matmanius. So many things that we give up in life when we speak Lashon Hara. Somebody called me the other day with a Shiloh. says he's chayshed that there's a person in Shidduchim on his reference list that's trashing him. Because he's not getting any shidduchim, and he has a feeling that there's one rabbi or somebody on the list that, you know, that's not saying good about him. Why wouldn't he get any dates? Wouldn't girls be, you know, dying to go out if all the rabbeim were saying great things about him? So then he should be getting hundreds of dates, but he's not getting any. And he thinks that it's, he knows exactly which person on his reference list is not being Here's a shayla. Is it mutter for me to ask a friend to call up this rabbi as if he is asking to be, a, you know, using him as a reference for me. 
and I'll be listening in on the phone, and I'll hear what, what exactly he says about me. Is that mutter or Is it mutter for me to listen in on a conversation that somebody's calling a rub or a reference on the list to see exactly what he's saying about me? So the first thing I said is that I don't think the Chavetz Chaim, in his wildest imagination, ever thought of such a disgusting Rechila's case. Could you imagine, I mean, they didn't have phones back then, could you imagine, you know, the Chavetz Chaim even entertaining such a thing that a person should be, go around the person's back, arrange that a person should speak Lashnara about him, and I'll be listening in on the phone to what this person is saying about me. Is there a more corrupt thing that a person can do? But besides for that, I told the person, I said, how unethical is that? How tainted is that? How warped is that? What are we doing to ourselves if we would do such a thing? Every time we speak Lashon Hara, it's terrible we're doing to others. We're killing people's reputations. We're making people unable to get Shidduchim. We're making people unable to get a job. We're making people unpopular. We're making, we're breaking people. That's terrible. That's unforgivable. But you know what's also unforgivable? What we do to ourselves. Every time we speak Lashon Hara, when we're, when we're passing other people, what we're doing is we're failing to recognize what I'm doing to myself. I'm tarnishing my neshama within. I'm making myself a negative and very, very despicable person. And I'm failing to see that the problems that I'm blaming other people for and that I'm tarnishing other people with are really my own problems. And so it behooves me to, instead of worrying about everybody else, go into my solitary confinement, think about what, I'm, what I am, what I'm right, and what I'm wrong about, and change what's bad. This is what the Mesot Sharam speaks about, in how a person is supposed to go about his Avaida, how he's supposed to take, separate the good from the bad, and then go into the good, and see in the good, maybe there's so in the good even, and constantly refine his neshama and his midas until it's mamish seilas nekiah. And when a person is able to then look in a mirror after he's undergone this cleansing process and done bedigas chametz on his heart and been able to grapple and deal with all the things that he has within, all those uncomfortable thorny issues that we know that we have within it, within us, then and only then is a person able to cleanse himself, to say that I've been mevar all the chametz for myself. I have found matmanius. I have discovered when we do bedigas chametz, so many times you find things you thought were lost, and you find them. When we do bedigas chametz on ourselves, what we're doing is we're able to find all the beauty, all the things that the Rabbi gave us, the precious Matmanias that the Rabbi bestowed each and every one of us with individually. We're able to find them, polish them, make sure that they are shiny and evident once again. That is the blessing of the Parashas Nagayim. Know that Kal Nagayim Adam Raya is, is you have Nagias towards yourself and you can't see Nega Atzmai because of that. Know that and also know that once we've dealt successfully, once we make a siyam on Parashat Sazriya Mitzayra and understand that it's solitary confinement that is the cure, dealing with our own issues, 
And then we will see the beauty of our lives. We will stop speaking Lashonara about others. We'll be Mishabeach others because we'll see how great they are and how wrong we were to ever look bad on anybody. And we will be able to look inside and say, Baruch Hashem, that I've dealt with my issues. Baruch Hashem, that I see the treasures within. And Mir Hashem then be able to go forward as a year the way the Rabbanishlam envisioned us.